From ThatShelf.com, this is Black Hole Films. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. What's a black hole film, you ask? Well, you know those films you always meant to get around to watching, but you never did for whatever reason? Well, that's what they are. And this podcast is all about embracing them and checking those films off our lists and talking about them and whatever else happens to come up. I'm Canadian filmmaker Jeremy Lalonde, and I will be your host. You can follow me on Twitter at LalondeJeremy, or check out my website, JeremyLalonde.com, for more information on me and my projects. If you like the show, please subscribe to it, rate, review it, and leave a comment on whatever platform it is you're listening. It really does make a difference in helping to get more ears tuning in. And if you like this show, check out the others on the ThatShelf.com family of podcasts. And without further delay, let's get into this week's film. This is episode 152, and today I'm joined by Mark Weingast. If you've listened to the podcast before, you know Mark. And we're going to sit down and watch a film together. So we're sitting down to watch Thief. I'm Jeremy, and I have never seen this film. My name is Mark, and I have seen the film once. Right. And you know what's interesting? I don't know why this is. Whenever I'm about to introduce a, a, a Michael Mann film, I'm, I almost go, Michael Mann's Thief. Like, I don't do that for almost anyone else. I, I wouldn't even be like Spielberg's E.T. or Spielberg, because yeah. it's just E.T. It's such... A, I don't know why Michael Mann gets that, because I'm not the only one that does it, but it comes from something. I would say that he is an auteur. I actually did a paper on this for an independent course on crime a couple years back. Actually, no, last year, last year. Why am I getting all my ears mixed up? It's 2020 already. Anyways, so I did it on a bunch of his crime films that he's done. And there was a common theme that I found. This is a crime film, Mark? Jesus, fuck. Spoiler. Okay, how many spoilers have I given you so far? Three? It's it's called casting choices. It's called Thief. That was a terrible joke. (laughs) There are so many spoilers for this movie. Anyway, there's a common theme that I found between a bunch of his films leading up to Heat. And I'll get into that more after we watch the film because I don't want to say anything right now. I'm trying to remember. I've seen Heat. I've seen... um, well, what was the the Jamie Foxx Adam Sandler one? Collateral, collateral, and that was because that was the big the first film filmed digitally. And I'm like, yeah, you can tell, yeah, it's not great. <laughs> Have you also seen Manhunter? Like the, the Manhunter, kind of, I've seen. Yeah, I've seen yeah, Manhunter, the original. Yeah, the original Red Dragon. Yeah, because that one's him. Yeah, I saw that. I haven't seen. I'm trying to think. I've seen the he Russell Crowe one. The uh, the oh oh um American Gang. No, no American no, Gangster no. is Ridley Scott. No, it's the one that Russell Crowe blew up from. It's the whistleblower one. Oh, The Insider. The Insider. The Insider. That's that was it. the first time I really became aware of Michael Mann. Like, I didn't know of him as a filmmaker before that. That came out when I was in film school, and everyone was, like, masturbating over it. <laughs> uh, and that was the one where I'm like, oh, who's this Michael Mann guy? But Michael Mann's one of those, guy, you know, filmmakers that I always know, I know is, like, widely celebrated, but I've never been like, oh, I just need to sit down and watch a Michael Mann film. Like, he's just one of those guys that's there, but I, it's, I don't dislike him. I don't cherish him. He's just kind of there for me. Yeah. For for me, I kind of feel that uh, the the same way of uh, certain directors. So with uh, let's say this year with the Oscars, uh, Scorsese nowadays Scorsese isn't as big as it used to be. But I'm sure way back in the '70s and '80s when you know he started churning out all of these films. I mean, other than I still get excited other, for a Scorsese other, movie, but well, that's I, 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 I kind of do want... too. But it's so far between between Irishman, Wolf of Wall Street, Silence. What else is he really? Like, oh, Departed, it, man. Well, but that was 2006. I'm talking more Holy like nowadays. Because yeah. what was the last Michael Mann film that was really in theaters? I think it was Black Hat with with uh, with Thor. With uh, with Thor. I don't yeah. even know what that movie is. Well, to be honest, neither did I. Nobody else because it flopped. Right. Like, nobody saw that movie. But I mean, to be fair, I haven't watched Silence yet. I have it on disc, but I haven't popped it in because I just feel like it's going to feel like homework to me. It kind of does because you need to be in a certain mindset to see a film. For something like Silence, it is a very religious experience. Ha ha ha! Yeah, They're all yeah, just yeah. with I, I think I'm. I'm gonna wait until I have like a rainy day where no one else is around. My family's gone, and I'm just gonna finally do a back. I'm gonna do like a double bill of Last Temptation of Christ and Silence. <laughs> Ooh, that's an interesting double feature. But I might do Silence first because I feel like I'm going to enjoy Last Temptation more. <laughs> Maybe, maybe. Uh, it, uh, you know what? I think it would be different. Do the do Last Temptation first. Like, see how he came from yeah. that to silence. Anyway, going back to Michael Mann, because 
uh, he's a director that I always was aware of, but until I took that course and did this essay, I never watched any of his films. Right. So the ones that I analyzed for this essay was Thief, A Little Bit of Manhunter, and L.A. Takedown and Heat, because Heat was the culmination of these yeah, two I, things. I haven't seen L.A. Takedown either. It's very interesting. I'm sure if you get Norm to talk about it, because when I asked him for his recommendation on what which think, films on which films of his to see leading up to Heat, he's like Thief, Manhunter, L.A. Takedown. Those are really the three. If you want to go a little bit beyond, you do The Insider. But those, are, but those three are kind of the main things. And again, once we're done analyzing it, I'll tell you all about what my what my thesis was in that paper because, again, it's this really interesting link that you don't consider until you see these films in succession. Right. Where it's like, oh, there are those common things amongst all those films, and then he does this culmination between. That's cool because I love because that's kind of like where I'm at filmically. I'm, I'm watch. I like to watch things in these spurts and watch. Like I'm going through all Bergman's in the big Criterion box set. Yeah, and it's really interesting how they've curated those. Uh, centerpieces and little mini film festivals inside of them and group them together because they're, they're all over the place yeah in terms of like the chronology of when the films were shot and made it's not just like here they are in order like they've really curated them in a really specific way but do, but here's the thing same thing with godzilla because that one's more chronological does it really affect how you view the films by itself because that one's curated from what i've heard i've got it at home but i haven't even Cracked it? Not well. I've cracked the plastic. I haven't cracked the cases. Yeah, Uh, it's more by tone, but like you say, sense. It's very tony. Yeah, it's very. What's interesting because it's like I think it was the the second one, whichever one starts with seven seven samurai. No, uh, seven seven seal. seal, Seven samurai. Very different filmmaker. Uh, Where's my Kurosawa box set on Blu-ray Criterion? Well, the the, the out-of-print DVD version of the. I wouldn't buy it now. No, I own most of the collection on Blu-ray. Exactly, it's not worth it for me. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I might actually because the one thing is I will. I mean, here we're. I'm going a deep dive here. But this is for collectors. Uh, you know, Criterion is one of the few DVDs or Blu-ray sets that you know still hold their value. So I'm like, I could probably because this is what I do with Bergman. Is actually when I got that set for Christmas, I sold all my Bergmans, which were all, all the DVD ones, right? Which DVDs? I made more money than the set, the Blu-ray set cost. That that's just insane in itself because there are also some uh, I, I'd say some companies Arrow or Vinegar Syndrome where sometimes they'll release the limited edition versions yeah and those go for huge money. There's a Donnie Darko one that they released a limited edition went out of print so fast and now I can only get it on eBay for yeah. two hundred dollars. But that's that I but here's so I made a profit on that yeah by and I didn't even have the whole collection. And uh, and that was only and that was going to BMV and they're going to charge double whatever they paid me. Yeah. So it's I'm like that's for me that was great. I was like I was able to like basically get that set for free even though I got it for as a gift. Yeah. But it was just one of those things. I'm like this is bizarre that Criterion retains its value to some extent. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so what are your expectations on the film? On this film. On this film, yeah. Um. Well, how much of it do you? Oh, so know? You're, you're, you're asking before. Let me finish. Yeah. You're asking about the does it the, does watching the way that Criterion right, is right. curated the Bergmans. It kind of does because what you do is you get an appreciation of scope, and you go, oh, he's doing this here successfully, and here not so much in playing around. Like they really group the two different kind of films together, especially because what they will often do is they're like, here he's playing with this theme, and then he's playing it again, and now they're, but they're ten years apart. Yeah. And so it's interesting to see it. It, it. it does inform your kind of viewing of it to some extent. Yeah. It's very well curated. Yeah, I, I, like, I would appreciate that. But to me, I feel like if I could see the auteur, the director, grow into his years, rather than seeing the jump in the same You tone. You can watch it however you want, I know, Mark. No I one's, no one's going to stop you. Who am I, I to listen say, to authority? <laughs> well, I will say the essays... Because a lot of them are grouped into like double bills, so oh, it's like there's two movies on one disc. Okay. So when the the essays are often they write about both those movies at once. Gotcha. So if you want to view it, because what I'm doing, you know, if you want to view it and read the essays alongside of it, it makes it a little bit more difficult. Yeah. Doing it that way, uh, chronology. If you don't follow, if you don't watch them grouped together the way they've done them. Yeah. Uh, but but the titles that are just individually on each disc, they have solo ep- essays. Gotcha. So those you can do, but the ones where they do group them together, they do often the SAS talks about them as a whole, as yeah. a two-parter thing. So uh, I want my, my Michael Mann set. I want my Thief and, and Heat. I want a Criterion. Is this his heat. only Criterion? Uh, hmm. 
Actually, I don't know. It I might... feel like Warner Brothers or MGM, whoever had the film beforehand, did a DVD release. But this is the first time it's on Blu-ray. Oh, uh, interesting, yeah. My expectations for this, I know nothing about this movie other than what you've spoiled for me and that James Caan is in it and a little bit of Jimmy Belushi. Yeah, you'll see. It, okay. it, you'll feel it's kind of out of place. That's but, okay. I don't mind yeah. that. It's like I uh, I would have figured that out in two seconds and, and it's fine. Yeah. I enjoyed I enjoyed James Caan. Uh, the two Jimmys. Yeah, you you just watched Rollerball recently, right? I just watched. I really enjoyed Rollerball. Uh, same. It was also my first time watching it during that. Yeah, I thought it was going to be summertime. like way cheesier than it was. No, it's great. It's, it's great fun. Yeah, it takes it kind of seriously in a way that makes sense and isn't too over the top. Yeah, Rollerball is fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I have no. I mean, I I don't know anything about the premise. Okay. I don't. I mean, I assume James Con <laughs> is the thief. I'm. No. I'm gonna. Can I make a prediction? What I think sure. it's about. Sure. That can be. It could be. Could totally wrong. I'm gonna say it's about um, a thief that is at a crossroads in his life or career, and he's contemplating getting out of the game. Okay. You know what? That's good. That's a good way of going into this. Or something. I, I, I assume he's gonna be at a crossroads of life, where where him being a thief is going to be like the engine. And in his his identity as a thief, and whether or not he continues it, will be part of the engine. That's my prediction. You're speaking as a writer, and you know what? That's probably the best way to go into that. <laughs> yeah. So that's going to be my uh, based on the title. Yeah. I'm going to go with that. So let's watch it. Yeah. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. And we just finished. Man, that is such a slick movie. So you said slick, and I don't know what you mean by that, because I see it as completely unslick. Well, I see it as slick as it's a very methodical... A, a lot of the shots, specifically when the jobs are being done, the heists, it, it's very meticulous. Every shot is important. All the violence on screen, when it does happen, it happens for effect. The shootout that happens at the end... Uh, it, it, it's like there there are not a lot of gunshots in the movie, but when they are, they have an effect. Yeah, sure, but but, but I think, and for me, that's it's interesting because I find it like it's all, and I don't say this as a as a negative thing at all. I think it's it's what makes it the movie work as as a Michael Mann film in particular. It's all very much one kind of tone and pace. Like the okay. movie doesn't become. It doesn't like ramp up and it's like, now we're in the heist. You know, it's just like, it's got that Tangerine Dream score that's just like, keeps you even keeled. So it's slick in that sense and that it's just, it's a movie that feels cool. Yeah. You know, it feels like it is relaxed, it's nuanced. It's kind of like Jimmy Khan's character where it's just like, it's very unfazed, it's very focused. It's like, you will not fuck with me. This is what I said I wanted, and this is what's going to happen if you don't give it to me. Yeah. And you're not going to, like, pull a fast one on me. I will burn down my entire fucking life before I let that happen. Now, do you see the connections, what I mean by a lot of his crime films kind of have the same... Yeah, it's like a 10-minute diner scene. That's, it's a very similar <laughs> diner scene that we get, we get in heat. Well, between, it's somewhat. But somewhat, it's also but... It's like it's like that 10-minute scene where it's just like, that scene could have been two minutes long. All, all we're trying to accomplish in that scene is that he's going to be with this woman and he needs to build a life. And so he's got to now commit. He's, not a, he's got to now sell his soul to the devil to, uh, to make this life that he thinks he wants or needs. Yeah, kind of that mix of individualism and corporatism. But when I was writing this essay, when I was analyzing Heat, it was that aspect of domesticity and professionalism. Those two things that are at odds with each other that can never properly meet. So in Heat, it's that kind of culmination because in Thief, we get it from a criminal perspective. Manhunter, we kind of get it more from a cop's perspective of the danger that it is and how much you have to put yourself into that and how much you actually lose or the potential to lose everything that you kind of have. Whereas in Heat, uh, we get the perspectives of both the cop and the criminal. So in theory, the, the theme is about the idea that you can't ever be a professional in this world and... Also have a good home life. Correct. 
Yeah, I mean, and I, I, I think that's a pretty fair theme across a lot of crime films. That is like you can't have everything. Uh, you know, it's but, cr- but but I mean, like this, which, which boils down to crime doesn't pay. Exactly, but th- this idea that they all want this home life, they all want this kind of American dream of having the stable living, having the wife, the right? But they kid, st- the house. but they do, they don't do the things that you're supposed to do to earn that, and so therefore they can't have it. Exactly. So with the criminals, but that's it, crime it doesn't pay. Yeah. That's like I know the oh, the one last sure. score idea, and then you're out, and then you have everything that you want, but unfortunately, not everything goes to plan. Like because in, crime doesn't pay, Mark. <laughs> yeah, no, I know, but, but uh, I know what you're saying. I think yeah. I, I, I do appreciate kind of the specificity of making it about uh, the domestic life, and that these people want to have like a regular life, and that they're just kind of. You know, regular people who have decided to make this their profession. They're not like these cartoon character... Uh, Tom Size, more of the action is the juice. Yeah, it's like they're not like these guys that like talk fast and are slick and cool. Like, they're just regular people that are criminals. Yeah. Uh, and they live in this world and they want to they have it all. They want to have the home life and, and all that kind of stuff, but they just can't have it. And, no, I, I get what you mean. I think there's something really interesting in that. Um. I, I really liked it. It's 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 funny. Like Michael Mann does have a very specific like visual. Like you can watch something and and it might not stand out within two seconds that it's him, but yeah. it's very. He's got this kind of gradient to his movies. It's not quite like this this bluish tint because there's there's these other colors that pop into it uh, between the neon of Chicago and yeah, there's a grittiness to yeah. it. Right, specifically at night, where it just feels more cold. And yeah, more. everything's watered down. He splashed down everything so that you're getting that reflection out the streets. Yeah, even though we don't see an ounce of rain in the movie, <laughs> but all the, but suddenly, except, except for the opening scene. Except for the opening scene, sure. All the rain, rain for the entire movie yeah, stems from it. That. Rains in that one opening scene, and then we've got watered down streets for the entire movie. Apparently, um, so so what what sequences did you like in this movie? In terms of the high scenes, do you enjoy? Just oh, there's James nothing, I, and- there's nothing I didn't like. I, I loved the, I loved like the meticulousness of like planning the heist and all the little details. I mean, it's so dated. Like this movie is, we we're both shocked to realize this movie is almost forty years old. Yeah, which is insane when you think about it. Because to me, I still think 1980 is 20, 30 years ago. No, well, you think that I was born in nineteen eighty one. Yeah. So this movie is the same age as me. Uh, and it's like, yeah, I'm almost 40 and that's terrifying to me, but also it's like, fuck, this movie's almost, that's bonkers to me that it doesn't feel dated that way. Cause yeah, you're right. It's like, we put these things in this time capsule of how far away we are from them and we kind of distance ourselves from that. So to think of this as like, yeah, I think of this, I, when I first saw 1981, I'm like, oh, this movie is like 25 years old. It's like, no, no, <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> uh, bonkers and amazing. Uh, James Belushi. Belushi, what that? He's got this weird mullet haircut, but not no. He has mullet later. It's this weird. Like, he looks like he's wearing a toupee in this movie. Yeah, but but he's actually really good in this, and I'm surprised. But he, he still plays that schlubby character who's just like an awesome, amazing thief as well. Yeah. But again, he plays an everyman. Like he's not. He's just kind of like that guy. Yeah. My, my my favorite scene is when he's in the the office tower and he's trying to pick up the the code. To, to break that fifth With alarm. a radio. It's yeah, just, he's all the way up on the top, like, what, the top floor to try and break that? Yeah. And then he has to walk all the way down that giant... Like, and you then I made the comment that I'm not, like, there's no way that man who has that physique climbed up all those stairs... <laughs> and still looks that good. And still looks, like, nonplussed and isn't just, like, Sweated. having to change his shirt. Yeah. There's no fucking way. He was, like, on, on floor 30? Probably. Like, estimated, yeah. That John at High least, Rise? yeah, at least, at least. Uh, the other thing they don't cover, I don't think, is because they break in from the ceiling, right? Right. How do they get up in the ceiling? Who cares? It's a movie. Oh, I'm just saying, <laughs> for a movie that gives you so many details and goes into the minutia, Michael Mann. This is the director's cut. I'm just <laughs> saying, how the fuck they get on that roof? Helicopter, magic, zipline, sure, Dark Knight style. Sure, sure. There's a million ways to get on that roof. We didn't see one of them. This movie did that, though. It was missing key scenes. Like, 
it took me a beat to realize that the guy that he saw in the diner, two seconds later, it's like, oh, he died. But it's like, wait a minute, when did, like, that guy's name was not said enough to remember who he was. Yeah, a lot of the dialogue early on, I can't even make out. No, it takes a beat, like, it's missing some core key moments that you're just supposed to catch. And I don't know that they get discussed. On on, on second watch, I got a lot more out of this than when I saw it. Yeah, yeah, because you know how the pieces come together. But watching it this time, there was a couple moments that you, I mean, you got to really pay attention to this movie. It doesn't, it's not the kind of movie that is going to hit you over the head with its beats. Yeah. You know, you got to, you get rewarded for paying attention. But even when you are paying attention, there's just some things like that that is like, who is that guy? What, what money? Is this from a different job? And you realize it was, anyway. It's and then fine. with Willie Nelson's character, and then when he's at the hospital, you ask me what, like, what's the relationship between him? Like, mentor, father. I was, uh, I was kind of underwhelmed by, like, really, you could cut out, you could cut all the Willie Nelson stuff out of this movie and it wouldn't make a difference. I know, but there's still that kind of oh, aspect of that father figure because, again, he grew up in the state system. I, on a second watch, I got a lot more. Sure, out of it no, that. but you're getting like it's it's the kind of stuff you get in a novel that like deepens the character, but story wise, it doesn't add anything. Yeah, like the storylines don't connect at all. It's not like he is told something by Willie Nelson that later makes him make a choice that he wouldn't have made otherwise. You could literally cut those scenes out of this movie, and the movie would play exactly the same. See, but for me, you kind of need those scenes because it still grounds him in a way. The same way that Tuesday Weld's character grounds him. The same way that but that's what I mean. that, he's that grounded, piece of paper. He's grounded in other ways. And I'm saying, I'm saying, you get yeah. the same beats in in scenes that drive the plot forward. Those scenes, I, I enjoyed them. They're fine. They're, yeah. I have nothing wrong. With them. I'm just saying those scenes don't move the story forward. But is this more of a plot movie or is it more of a character? like a character piece for James Caan to explore the the ideas and the emotions of this character. I don't think the two have to be mutually exclusive. I think, I just think, we, we, in the way you were talking about how slick it is, that's what I'm saying. I don't know if I agree because it is full of a bunch of these little moments where you could have done the same thing with less. You yeah. could have been, I'm just saying Michael Mann is not the most efficient storyteller. He likes to, with, with heat being nearly three hours long and yeah again yeah. it's like he likes to wait in something and that's fine that's part of his style because you have to sit with these characters you have to you have to sit through like the motions of how they're going to get through this but see I disagree because I think the characters and the actors they've got playing them are so strong that it's like you're getting I get what you are trying to feed me yeah in thirty seconds into the scene. And I don't, and you're just repeating beats now. Uh, and they're not bad because everyone's working at the top of their game, and they're very good at what they do. Yeah, I'm just. I here's the thing. I don't mind this kind of pace. I'm accustomed to it. I dig it. <laughs> I'm just saying I can see how like the lay moviegoer would watch this, going, "We get it. Move on." Yeah, you know, you can. This movie could you could cut 20 minutes out of this. Well, then movie. again, we just watched the director's cut. Unfortunately, there's no. Uh, alternate cut on this. Ah, so, so it so is. So it might be missing a few scenes in the in the original cut. Interesting, because this is a new digital restoration from a 4K master transfer of the director's cut, approved by Michael Mann. So now, blame him. No, but that's okay. But I'm curious. Then I'm gonna look it up while we're watching. Um, yeah. I'm curious to know uh, on the um, on the uh, if, if IMDb mentions like alternate cuts. If they say anything about like different running times, look it up. Look it up. Look it up. I'm look looking it up, up. Look it up. I felt thief wrong there. Um, so what what did you get out of it second time around? Um, a lot of character beats for um, in certain scenes that I just didn't pick up the first time around. The the courtroom scene where the the lawyer who's getting the Willie Nelson character out of jail because he's sick does the the hand motions to signal to the judge how much he's going to bribe him. That I I did not catch the first time around. There's also uh, some aspects of... Oh, shoot. What what else did I pick up from this? Okay, so here's Like little bits of dialogue here and there that I just missed. And oh, yeah, about that. So the differences are there's a new scene with Willie Nelson on the bank on the Chicago River. I don't remember seeing that scene. Beat scene where man moves a slow motion shot of Tuesday Weld walking with the baby. 
there's a whole lot. There's a laundry list of them. Anyway, we don't yeah. need to. I don't need to read yeah. them all. Uh, interesting. Can we talk about the score? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, and that, the, but that's part of it. That's part of just like that, like that slow moving. Yeah. The the ending the ending song. I I have no idea what it's called. It kind of feels a lot like that guitar solo from Comfortably Numb from Pink Floyd's The Wall. <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of felt that, but but in a way, it kind of makes sense because James Conn's character, he has to burn everything to the ground. He has to remove every single tie that he has because he needs to, like a cowboy who, you know, just goes town to town. It, it's just he has to ride off being alone. So he has to burn down his businesses. He has to burn down that uh, that cocktail lounge that he owns. He, had to, he has to burn down the car dealership. He has to blow up his house. He has to send away his wife and his kid. He needs to cut away every single tie that uh, that um, holds him down in Chicago. You don't think that he then go goes and reconnects with his wife and the, and the kid later. I don't on? think he does. Why? But he's he's the only reason he sent her away is because to create. I I got the sense that he's got to destroy his life here so he can start fresh. Yeah. But he sent her. It's like the idea of like you 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 kick a dog so it'll leave you. Yeah. You know you don't you're not mad at the dog. The dog doesn't know what it did wrong. Yeah. You know it's that idea of you know it's that kind of idea with the wife. But it doesn't make any sense that he would then not be able to reconnect if he's taking care of uh, you know the crime boss. Yeah. And all it's like who what's stopping him from reconnecting with her other than his own hubris? Other than like the cops or. Other thing, I. To but be even honest, though it's the cousin, the guy's gonna stop him from being with his wife. Well, I mean, they might hunt him down. Right, but if he. But my thought was like the idea that they burned that this guy. He burned down his own businesses. It would look like this guy did that. Yeah. I, I mean, you could look at it that way, but then again, the cops also might be in the back pocket of Leo, who is now dead at this point. So. Yeah, but then they're not paying. Why? So if that that this is true, this is true, and we know that the yeah. cops are on the payroll. Yep. Um. Leo's now dead. Yes. Leo's not going to be paying these cops anymore. Correct. So what's what do they get out of going after this guy? I don't know. Besides just revenge for, I, for all the money they're not going to make. To be honest, I don't know. But the part of me that has that ambiguous ending. Sure. Of, no, of it's like, got a Sergio Leone kind of thing where it's just like he's going to. But it's like the idea he's going to roam from town to town doesn't make sense either. Well, I wouldn't not. say he's going town to town, but he's got to leave Chicago. He's just got to He's just got to go. He can't stay there anymore. Well, he's got to find a new thing. If he can't be a thief and he can't be a domestic, he's got to find a third thing. Well, no, he can still be a thief. He's really good at his job, and you see that throughout the film. But even though he tries to pull away from that, because, again, this whole last job story, one last thing, and then I'm out, it doesn't go well for him. But then again, that's really all he knows, even though he has all these legitimate businesses. But then again, being the ex-convict and all that, there's that stigma, you can't you could be a self-made man, but there's... But he's also uh, doing well enough. Well, I mean, but here's like, the thing. How do, you, how do you think he owns that um, that car lot? How do you think he owns that... Well, for all the... I mean, the car lot is like the way he washes his money, I assume. Yeah. Like, all those businesses are the way for him to funnel his money as a thief through. But then I also sit back going, and this is what I think the film is actually missing, is the idea that it's like... It seems like he's on paper doing just fine. It seems like... He's stolen enough stuff. He's got all these, It's not like the businesses are, are running amok and he needs to thief to try to keep the businesses afloat. Yeah. Like, it feels like he could stop being a thief if he wanted to. Yeah. He doesn't want to. He enjoys it. But what the movie doesn't give us is this idea that he can't stop himself. He's addicted to the, the world. Yeah. It just feels like he's doing it to make ends meet, but that doesn't feel like that's the case. Well, again, because he's so good at his job... He know he feels that there's this one last score that I can do earns me a lot of money and then I'm out. I am no longer doing this. He wants to get out, but we don't get right. the sense that he needs that. I, it's a, it's I, I get that idea. It's a, it's a trope. It's a trope of the genre that is like yeah. just one more th- job, one more week. You know, I'm too old for this shit. All those things. It's one all the same. More. Yeah, one day more. It's all those things. But it's like. The idea that it's like if I and as soon as you hear that in any movie now you're like I'm just doing one thing you're like well no that it's going to end badly for you yeah uh, or or not and then there'll be a sequel anyway because Andy uh, 
or whatever bad guy will come back and now want the money back and yeah. you'll have a sequel because you, you can never get like you know crime does not pay yeah uh Unless it's the Ocean's Eleven's movies, and then those people... <laughs> then, always... it, then it does somehow. Because it's fun! Because crime's fun in those movies! Yeah, especially when you do it against someone who's a dick. Who's even more of a dick than the George Clooney character. Yeah, and that's how this movie works, too. Is like, you don't get... An, an, you know, it's okay for James Caan to be uh, a thief, because everyone else is meaner and worse than him. Just like in Heat, you kind of feel empathy for Neil McCauley, for Robert De Niro's character, because... You understand, you understand where he's coming yeah, from. He's absolutely. really good at his job. Doesn't mean that it's every. Well, I wouldn't say that it's not everything, but it's not like he gets that kind of thrill out of it. He does it because he's really good at it. Yeah, but and, that, that, and that's what I'm and, and that's what I'm saying here is like the problem. Of the movie, I think, is that for all of his nuance and depth of character, it's it's trying to give us. I'm not getting. Um. The stakes aren't high enough. Yeah. In terms of just like, why does he need to do these? Why does he need to only do one more job? Yeah. You know, it feels like he has these legitimate businesses that he could just do. Like, I want to know that that he can't help himself. Yeah. And that he doesn't actually need to do these jobs. He's deciding to do it. Well, then in that in that opening, well, I wouldn't say opening scene, but that scene with Leo where he's. Actually, no. After the diner, after he admits his love to Chusei Weld's character, he calls up Leo and says, okay, yeah, to do it one to two. But that's, that's the, o- but that's the only reason he does takes those jobs is because yeah. he, re- he tells her he's a thief. He wants, he wants to stop. D- and he, I, I get the idea. In his mind that it's like if he just gets a couple of big scores, it'll tide him over for the rest of his life. Yeah. I'm just saying, he's a legitimate business owner. It doesn't seem like he has tons of debt, like the businesses are going badly. I'm just saying, he could probably just stop now and not have to do that. I'm just saying, for me, it's like what I'm missing in a movie that's playing tropes with nuance. I'm just saying, I'm missing that moment where I, I'm okay with that, with him not actually having to do the score, as long as he's motivated from character greed or character narcissism yeah and we get to see him make that choice where it's like no you could actually walk away now and you're choosing not to and it's your own hubris that will undo you yeah i'm just saying we don't get that moment where we feel like he either needs to from a plot point of view or from like being destitute or he doesn't need to and he's making the choice regardless because he's that cocky or because he's that greedy like i'm saying he doesn't we don't see the sin committed that justifies the ending. Yeah. Okay, I get I get where you're coming from with that. If you're saying that the movie is more care about character than plot, I'm missing that. Yeah. Yeah, and I and I can see why. I, again, I th- I feel like I'm getting more out of a second watch because of from this. But remember, the first time that I was watching this, it's kind of in the context of I'm seeing professionalism versus domesticity yeah, in, yeah. The, in the in the in the realm of thief manhunter. And and more than likely heat. Yeah, I mean, I enjoy the hell out of it throughout the whole thing. Yeah, and it's just as I'm sitting here thinking about it more that I just feel like there's something that's still missing. It's it's a great film, but to make it great to the next level from that, yeah, I just think that it's like for all the nuance it's trying to capture, it's it's repeating beats that we already got what you're trying to do here, and then it's missing core moments that would emotionally drive the movie a little bit more for me. Yeah. That's all. I liked it. Yeah. It, I'm glad I'm glad I watched it. I liked I liked the way it went. I like how the walls are closing in. I liked all the stuff. I thought it did some unique and interesting stuff I haven't seen before in crime movies. Yeah. I, I, I love again all those close ups and meticulous shots during the actual um heist scene. So the opening scene where he's drilling into the bank vault, all those close ups of the drill going in and you get that push in of actually seeing the lock mechanism. Oh, that was a great shot. It's like it, it's so meticulous and so great, and you got that also in Heat. All these like great camera shots, all these great inserts, all these great close-ups of the things going uh, of all the plan going in motion when they rob that bank vault. Uh, sorry, the uh, the the armored truck in that opening scene. Yeah, where you know you head climb with the truck, you go in, you blast open the door, you take the bearer bonds, you run out, you go do what you need to do. It's Every shot has a purpose in that. Yeah. Well, that's how it should be. Yeah. Like any any good heist should go well. It should be 
everything. But I would on. love it if he would take that discipline with the rest of his movie and yeah. know that every single beat should have a purpose. <laughs> so you're saying cut the diner scene by five minutes, cut the... Uh... Cut Willie Nelson completely. You don't need him. Yeah. And I love Willie Nelson. I was excited that he was in this movie. I'm just saying... He's only there for two, three scenes. That's about it. Yeah. yeah. It's like, really, it's just like... Because you get the domesticity stuff enough already. Yeah. Uh, I'm just saying he doesn't add... There's no information we get from that relationship that plays into the movie. I don't think. Maybe I missed something. Uh, on a rewatch, maybe I, could, I, I would look at that more focused and be like, did he learn something from Willie Nelson that he needed later on? No, he didn't. Or did he like heed a warning where Willie Nelson would have been just like, just stop now. Like, give me that. And, and that's a trope and that's cliched too. But if his mentor had been like, you have a good life, look where I am, get out now. You don't need to do one more job. You don't need to do anything. Like, if he played some kind of counterpoint, but he's just not, like, I don't understand his purpose in the story and what he's giving us. I mean, other, uh, again, other than bringing up he's supposed to be the father figure for James Conner. I know, I, but what, I, I, what I know. am I supposed to walk away I know, with that from? I know. What am I learning from a fa- I agree. He's the father figure. What am I supposed to walk away with? From that, those interactions. Feeling sorry for James Conn. I don't. I, I'm not sure what. I'm not sure. What yeah, I'm sure. You. But it's just like I get, and there's just that. Like, what am I supposed to walk away with this? I don't know. The movie is not. It's being too coy at that point, and I just and I'm not putting the pieces together as an audience member. Yeah, maybe that's my fault. I'm not. But it's just I look at that and I'm like, that for me is a flaw for the movie. If I'm, you know, watching this movie with kind of a fine tooth comb. And I'm not able to go, I don't know what the scenes are doing. Yeah. If I can't figure it out, the lay moviegoer is certainly getting probably bored by those scenes. Okay, fair point. Anyway, okay. that's just, again, I'm nitpicking. I don't know why. I, I did enjoy this movie. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I feel like when, when you're trying to analyze it too much instead of enjoying it for what, for, you know, just seeing it as it is, as its own contained unit separate from the realm of the That's not what we do I here. I know that's not what we do here, but damn it, we have to appreciate it from a different level. <laughs> you you just want me to give it a pass because it's, it's yes. slick and cool. And yes, it is. It's cool, and it's slick, and the music is amazing, and James Conn's great. James Conn is great. Yeah. We were talking about how it's like, there's only probably a small handful of movies where he's the like the leading man. Yeah. Like there's this, there's Rollerball. Uh, I, I, can't, I can't even remember what else, really. There's not a ton. I mean, he's often, you know, and now he's at the point, he's he, what, in his 70s or 80s now. Yeah. You know, he's done a couple of Canadian movies, you know, and not to say that that's a he's bad... He's 79. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, he's not... I mean, uh, other, like, lead roles, Misery. That's a huge one. Misery, yeah. We did yeah. Misery We did misery on the podcast. You can go back and find that episode. It's a fun one. Brian's yeah. song, it was also lead. Honeymoon in Vegas. Honeymoon in Vegas is so much fun. Oh. He gets the, when James Conn gets to play like the douchebag villain, that's almost like the second part of his career. Once he yeah. aged out of playing like the leading man, he became like the douchebag villain, or or just like a douchebag antagonist. So in, in Elf, where he plays Buddy's father, but he's still like kind of a gruff. He's great yeah. in Elf. Great in Elf. Yeah. What, one of the, uh, the person who plays Leo, I always like. Where have I seen that guy? I was looking him up on IMDb. Gremlins 2. Yeah, he's the guy that owns the TV set. Yeah. He he play he usually what I loved about the casting of him in this movie is he usually plays like the grandfather. Yeah. Like the sweet old grandfather role. So putting him in this role where he gets to like swear and be an asshole and be despicable is I'm sure he really appreciated that. Yeah. Uh but also that's just great casting. Yeah. I mean, mostly everybody in this film is just on their A game. Everybody is just so good. Even yeah. the bit players. Is he not an elf too? Maybe I feel like he like is like the department store owner. Like he's the kind of guy. He's been in tons of stuff. He's a character actor who has been in tons of stuff. Yeah. Um, I'm trying uh, what his name is. What's his uh, name? Robert Prosky. Uh, so Mrs. Doubtfire, Christine. Yeah, he was the last he action the t- hero. Broadcast news. He owned the TV station, Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah. I was just in San Francisco, so I was thinking of Mrs. Doubtfire a lot because all the exteriors they shot—it's all—it takes place in San Francisco. Also, such a fun movie. A lot of rolling hills. So, like such great beats in that story, and also he's know. in Death to Smoochie. Oh, I love Death to Smoochie. 
So many things. Yeah. He's in. Yeah, he's just one of those. Yeah, great he's character a character actor. actor. He's great. Yeah, love him. All right. So, uh, so final thoughts on this movie. Final thought. Look at you. You're just taking. And he was also. We just re- watched uh, a miracle on 34th Street over Christmas. Oh. The new one, the 94 one. Yeah, the, the new one. The, the new the one. one that's still almost uh, 30 years old. Uh, oh, oh God, don't. Remind and he me. plays a he plays a judge in it. Uh, final thoughts. Yeah, I think I, I really enjoyed it while I was watching it. It uh, it's it's missing some pieces for me that would make it better. Uh, but I really enjoyed it. I think for a genre film, it's uh, it's 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 pretty great. It's just for me. It's just like I think that given like what they're trying to do with like this heavy character stuff, I just think it could have mined mined a bit more. Yeah, for me. Uh, I, I mean, I think the movie is great. I still rate it pretty high up. Not not his best movie, but it's still for one for one of his first films. It's just. Yeah, every shot is great. Every character is great. The beats for me work. It works for me very well. And again, on the second watch, understanding more of the dialogue and seeing details that I haven't just, you know, I may have just passed by on that first watch. I appreciate the movie a lot more on that. And yeah. Also, there are a lot of great sweeping camera camera shots. The first one that coming one down, all, the all fire those escape. fire escapes is yeah, amazing. Yeah, fire escape shot. Uh, the the sweeping uh, pan across the the um, the car lot towards the end, where you yeah. see like the the lights in the dark. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, there's some great camera. There's some great technical work going on here. I mean, he's a solid filmmaker. Look, I'm also like giving notes on the beats that are missing for a film that I'm realizing now was made. About 40 years ago. Yeah. So it's like, you know, our, our appetite for how movies kind of move and progress is, is different. Yeah. You know, so it's like for this time, if you're comparing this movie to the context of when it existed, I think this movie is probably hands and tails above anything else in the genre at the time. Yeah. Uh, or at least up there with the best of the best. Well, I right? mean, in terms of other crime films, you've got like French Connection, you've got... Uh, I don't know conversation, it, but again, more quiet, dramatic. Well, not not French Connection, but conversation, dramatic kind of. Uh, wouldn't say thrillers, but yeah. It, so, we, how close was I to my original prediction? Uh, you were very close, especially the the uh, the the one last job. Yeah, yeah, I, I, did, I did good. Yeah, <laughs> you did very well on that. Well, it is. It was about like the. Uh, that the typical like well that's that's also a very common crime story I know where it's just like the guy that because, he's like because we've grown up knowing those stories and knowing the knowing those beats so it's not like it's anything special now you no I wasn't creating like a a, a new storyline yeah from crime movies so then how do you change it how do you how do you break away from that one last job thing uh you're you're, you're the creative you're the writer I don't know but I think you just. Like you do something like Bad Santa, whereas it's like he's he's never going to do one last job. He's just going to burn through the money he's got, and every year he has to do another one. Yeah, and he, and he understands the fact that he's never going to stop this. <laughs> that that's the comedy version of that. Uh, I don't know, but it's like had it, I mean, there's there's plenty of crime films that don't play into that trope either. Yeah, you know, but there's also you know cop movies that do that where it's like you know the last day on the job. Yeah, you know. The one last crime I have to solve. The last yeah, the one criminal that, I have to catch. Yeah, that's part of just like several, several like drama genres. Like the last this. Yeah, it's like once I do this, I retire or I'm out or it's I'm done. Yeah, you know, training day is that too, right? There's just like there, it's it's it, it's a trope for a reason. It's yeah. it's uh, it's you know the stakes are kind of high in that, and that it's like if you just accomplish this, you get everything you ever wanted. Yeah. Uh, and then the question is, will they survive it or not, based on the choices they've made leading up to that? So, would you revisit this someday? Maybe just like listening to the commentary. I mean, I mean, this this edition has, you know, new interviews with Mike, uh, Michael Mann, James Kahn, and the guy from Tangerine Dream. I'd be curious to to get into the supplements. I don't. I feel like honestly, it's a movie I got everything out of the first yeah. time around. Uh, I think. I mean, I might rewatch it just to like steal some visual ideas and that kind of thing. Yeah. Story-wise, I got it. Yeah. You know, I feel like uh, I've, I've, I got to the point where I'm analyzing it and, and finding its flaws already, so I feel like rewatching it would just further... That's just the writer in you. That's the director in you. I can't, I can't turn that off, though. I, I know, I know. But no, I will, that, that's not true, though. It's like, if a movie really draws me in, 
I don't even think about that kind of stuff because I'm just what drawn was the, in. What was the last film that did that for you? Fucking Birds of Prey, man. Birds of Prey was great. <laughs> uh, okay. I know that's not a perfect yeah. movie. I know that is not a perfect movie. And I'm sure if I went back, but I was just, it flew along. It was fun as hell. And it just worked. Like I didn't, I didn't walk away going for that from, oh, this wasn't working and this didn't work. I just had a, a hell of a lot of fun in it. And it was way better than I expected it to be. For me, a movie with good editing does that for me, where I just get lost in it. So most recently, Ford v. Ferrari and Little Women, two films that are both really good in their own right. So yeah. with Ford v. Ferrari, you got the whole Le Mans secret. Ford v. Ferrari is so much fun. Yeah. I, I, it's, it won again, an Oscar every, for editing. It did. It just, I, my joke to my, my son and I were filling on our Oscar pools. And he's like, why did you pick that movie? Like, that's not nominated for almost anything else. It's like, it has the most edits. That's how it yeah, works. It has the most edits. He's like, really? Is that a thing? I was like, it kind of is. <laughs> he's like, 1917 was nominated for editing. I was like, there's, in theory, there's no editing in the movie. Yeah. But even that. It, no, there's hidden Ferrari is just fun. It, it, it's so much it's fun. The, it's the green book in the way that you put it on the background. You can come back at any point. You don't feel lost. It, it's a very... Cable esque movie. It's it's less Oscar baity than Green Book, so I was kind of surprised that it, to realize I'm like, oh, this is like an Oscar bait movie in a weird way. Yeah, because it's not real. It's like who gives a fuck about two car it's companies really, competing? Against it's really each other. just a two hander and a giant race. That's it. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, and then with with Little Women, just going back and forth and seeing the. Um, I don't know. Saoirse Ronan's just... Oh, she's oh. great. It's interesting. The, the thing that was driving me nuts about all the clips they were pulling from... And not that these clips aren't in the movie and that they don't speak to the themes of the movie. But it's just because, like, the Oscars were so... Got so much shit for their lack of female nominations in, like, key creative categories this year. Yeah. They really just mined the hell out of the clips from Little Women where they're, go, where they're showing that it's like, it's about women and it's, it's about how we can't be shut down. We have down. feelings. We have empathy. Yeah. We have minds. Like, we have ugh, yeah, souls. It's like, yeah, way to try to like backwards pedal your way into that. Yeah. But it, it just drove me nuts because they were just, it's just like, just embrace the fact that this is the year that you thought that these other people were more qualified for nominations. <laughs> Todd Phillips wasn't. <laughs> Well, that's, I mean, here's the thing. This was was a year where everyone's like, oh, this person was robbed and this person was robbed. No, this was actually an incredible year of movies. It is. And it's like, and no matter who you left out or who you had on the bill this year, there would have been people left out based on the limited nominations you're allowed. Watching some of the clips when they were doing, uh, running through the names and the nominations of, you know, certain awards, so production design, I was actually looking it over going, oh, yeah, all those really deserve it. Like, for editing. They're all great. Yeah. yeah. That's the thing. It's like, they're all really great. It's like, I know. I can't be upset to anybody else who would lose to, to this. No, I got 19 out of 24 on my Oscar pools. Yeah, you did and better that, than me. And that was only because I was, I was so happy that Parasite won for director and picture. Was not expecting it at all, and so those were upsets. But I voted for 1917 just because the Oscar race and everything. Yeah. You were just expecting it because I was just going the by the. Your I was going that. by the numbers, and it. But it was like when that happened, I was like, I'm so happy for that. Yeah, you know that, and it's like, and and I and they say that I got burned on animated feature because I went for. Uh, I went for Klaus. Yeah, I went for Klaus too instead of Toy Story Four. I'm like, yeah, Toy Story Four is what my heart would have went with. Yeah. And I don't know why uh, I didn't get I didn't do production design. I lost production design. Uh, I lost costume design. I, I oh, what are you retarded? You didn't pick. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I said that. That's the wrong production. Course, okay, hold on. Let's start that. Of course, one. costume is going to go to Little Women. I know. I that know. Was a Victorian given. Victorian drama pieces. They are my thing. I am a sucker for those all the time. But part of me wanted to go Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mostly oh, because yeah, sure. well, Hollywood loves itself. I will say that because the same thing is like, I for production design, of course that's why it won. Yeah. But also it was like, well, it's like the 70s. It was either, it was either that 69. or Parasite. That house. I know the layout of that house better than my own mental health. Yeah, but it was so simple. Where you it look is, at like, they were so they recreated good. areas of, of LA. Yeah. In, in Once Upon a Time, right? So that's why I was so happy it won. But again, I was like, I was not expecting it to win just because yeah. it didn't feel like visual effects kind of tripped me up. Like 1917, I totally did not expect. They're that. seamless. That's what, it, that, I know. That's what's that's amazing about 1917 is because 
they're not just. I mean, it's easy enough to do like an action movie like Avengers where you're doing a it's million CGI heavy. It's CGI heavy. Things. You're doing a million a million cuts and everything is against a green screen. But when you're doing staging like they're doing in 1917, and the actors are having to react to visual effects that aren't there, like that plane coming in. Yeah. And also, I'm like, that's incredible work because you're using that stuff as a character in the movie. Yeah. Uh, and you can't, I mean, you can watch it and go, this is a visual effect, this is not. But because of the way they're doing these staged long shots, it makes those special effects have to be and behave even more seamlessly. Yeah. You don't have the room for error you have in these other movies where you can just edit away anything else. Like, yeah. you've got to plan those visual effects within an inch of themselves. There's no room for error. And that's what makes it all the more impressive. Yeah. Whereas with this movie that we're talking about tonight, trying to bring it back, has lo- has lots of uh, errors and stuff that could be fixed. But then again, it's the 80s. <laughs> Look at you just trying to wrap up my podcast. Hey, I'm trying to be good at transitions here. <laughs> we don't need that in this. I- I- I'll just stop whatever the fuck I please, Mark. Uh, yeah. No. Uh, yeah. That's. I mean, yes. I think that this movie, again, it's a, it's a nature of its time. Yeah. Uh, I enjoyed Thief. I recommend, I mean, I can't imagine you're listening to this episode having not seen it, in which case we ruined so much shit. Yeah. Uh, We're sorry. That's okay. That, that's what you get. If you watch a podcast about a specific Watch movie, a podcast? How do you watch a podcast that's not recorded? They're watching way. the audio levels. You're okay. right. <laughs> if you're listening to a podcast about a specific movie, having not seen that movie, you are opening yourself up to spoilers. That's and again, a, maybe, maybe open up your mind and see this movie. Sure, or revisit it if you want to uh, give a shit for anything that I've said or Mark has said. Uh, anyway, thanks for coming over, man. Thank you. Let's all go to the. Thanks for joining us for Thief. Black Hole Films is a proud member of the That Shelf Podcast Network. You can listen to other episodes of our show and other That Shelf podcasts on thatshelf.com. Please subscribe, leave comments, spread the word, do all the things that let others know you like the show and how they can check it out. You can find me on Twitter, at Lon Jeremy, and go to Facebook and join the group Black Hole Films. And until next time, go watch something you've never seen before. Thanks. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.